experiences that made us feel unsafe physically or emotionally, psychologically unsafe. And what I add to that definition is it made us feel unsafe in our fullest authentic expression. It wasn't safe to be our, ourselves. Calling an audible on this week's podcast episode, and for good reason. First of all, if you listened to last week's solo cast and reached out, I can't thank you enough for your support. So many big changes and new beginnings. If you listened, you probably heard me talk about the book Patriarchy Stress Disorder and how much it impacted me in such a profound way. If you hadn't haven't read it yet, every damn word feels like all the lights are turned on in your body for the first time. For me, I felt fully, fully seen. And not only that, it was so illuminating that I could barely get through the book. I just kept texting friends passages and lines from it and things that were just like, oh, mind-blowing because I knew that this framework, these ideas were so revolutionary, it could actually free us from the thoughts that we tell ourselves the thoughts of not feeling good enough, or you have to try harder or do something different to finally feel like we belong or real feel freedom or feel like we're in the right place. Pretty bold statements, huh? So the reason why this episode is so important is that I got to interview the author, Dr. Valerie Rain, last week, and it was so enlightening. So I'm starting the reparenting series with this episode, I had to get it out to you right away. Dr. Valerie is a psychologist with four degrees, including two masters and a PhD. That is a lot of schoolwork. The book Patriarchy Stress Disorder has sparked discussion groups, communities worldwide of women looking to put this practice together. And it's not just for women. You know, men are actually oppressed too when you think of the framework that we live in. So we talk about the system that we all live in, that we've lived in for thousands of years, our war that we wage on our own bodies, and the definition of trauma, and I promise it is not what you think. We talk about if our distracted brains, especially now, are broken, and how to take the steps to break out of this in a scientifically backed way. So as we dive right in, please make sure you're subscribed or following this podcast for future episodes. And if you haven't already, please sign up for my weekly emails where I share my most personal insights. And if you've been listening, you'll know that uh, shit's going crazy <laughs> and everything is is getting wilder and wilder. I feel like my own shock jock um, is that every time I come out with a new email, uh, there's something new and just insane that's coming up. And so you'll get these new episodes de delivered directly to you so you don't miss one. You can sign up at allisonhair.com. Here is my conversation with Dr. Valerie Rain. I wanted to kind of start out real hot. Can you tell me what is patriarchy stress disorder? Of course. Women have been oppressed for thousands of years. And we may think that, well, things are different now. We have all these opportunities. We are empowered. However, given 
the uh, findings in the field of epigenetics about intergenerational transmission of trauma, we it, it gives us a different view. Um, these findings tell us that trauma is genetically transmitted. So what our mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers experienced, that oppression that women have been experiencing for thousands of years, is still alive and well in our systems. And unbeknownst to us, um, the decisions we make and how we may be self-limiting our lives is dictated by this trauma from our subconscious. So in short, patriarchy stress disorder is this intergenerational collective trauma of oppression that shows up in our lives as the invisible in the barrier to our fullest authentic expression, happiness and fulfillment. There's so much to unpack with there. And there's a a section from your book that I wanted to read to you and we can unpack it from there because I think it's important to identify what trauma is, because I think I think there are redefinitions that are required for in, in general for, you know, like for really meaningful discussions. And you put in your book, we stay up in our heads, out of our bodies. When the body carries unprocessed trauma, the head is the only safe place to be. Can you help describe <laughs> what trauma is? Big T trauma and little t trauma. Yes. When we say trauma, for most people, it conjures up images of combat, violent rape, kidnapping, um, catastrophes. And these are now categorized as the capital T trauma, big traumatic events. However, our lives are chock full of little t traumas, lowercase t traumas, which are experiences that made us feel unsafe physically or emotionally, psychologically unsafe. And what I add to that definition is it made us feel unsafe in our fullest authentic expression. It wasn't safe to be ourselves. And these experiences led to creating trauma adaptations to keep us safe going forward. For example, if you were um, doing show and tell in kindergarten and the kids laughed and you felt like shrinking, like disappearing, like crawling out of your skin, um, you may not remember that particular instance anymore or may not feel it's relevant. But maybe when you have a public speaking opportunity now, you feel like disappearing or you get a sore throat or you Mm. come up with another kind of reason why you cannot possibly do that. Oh, who would want to hear from me, et cetera. So all these thoughts and even physical reactions are trauma adaptations that your system so smartly created to keep you safe from ever finding yourself again in this situation where you would be psychologically emotionally unsafe right and our lives are full of these little t traumas but not only that now with the lens of intergenerational trauma we're adding everything, big T and little t, that our ancestors experienced and passed along to us. Um, 
which we don't even need to know about these events. And that's important to understand whether or not we know about what traumas have been passed down to us. They are affecting us and we know their effects. We know if we're holding back from filling the blanks or if we're not fully experiencing filling the blanks, if we're not able to fully relax and enjoy intimacy with a partner or reach an orgasm with a partner or solo if we're not fully expressing ourselves and our work in the world, if our bank account is not fully showing, um, reflecting our contribution in the world, and all these things we may try to ascribe to, oh, I'm just not good enough <laughs> at mm. that. But um, I challenge that because we're brilliant and our contributions are significant and our potential is unlimited. So how come we're not living into the fullness of that potential? And the reason is trauma. I think what is interesting about how, 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 so as you're speaking about, you know, some of these things of like, why is my bank account not as big as I want? Or maybe it's, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. And what I found from your book, especially, is that, you know, the thought, the the notion that there is nothing wrong with us, there actually are bodies and appropriate reactions to trauma that are keeping us safe. And that was really liberating to hear. But, you know, when you say about it doesn't really matter to know if it is ancestral, if it is intergenerational. Mm -hmm. Is there a need to identify the difference between ancestral, collective, and personal trauma? In some ways, I think in the way of understanding, first, as you said, understanding that it's not you. There's nothing wrong with you. And sometimes women, I worked with so many women first as a psychologist in private practice, and now in our company, we run programs where women can heal collectively because collective trauma requires collective healing. But from the days when I, I worked as a psychologist one-on-one -on -one to now, pretty much every woman comes in with this bias that she is somehow not getting it like she is failing somehow she is not getting this right she is getting this wrong so the first the first level of healing is understanding that it's not her it's trauma and then she goes oh but i had a normal childhood i had a normal life i don't mm. have trauma and that's where the understanding of well little t traumas is important and also intergenerational and collective uh, we are all interconnected and when we're exposed to media which is all the time media social media information travels so quickly now and we know what's going on around the world we know the state of women in Afghanistan. Uh, we know the state of women in Saudi Arabia, where, by the way, women got the right to vote in 2012 and got the right to drive, I believe, either in 2018 or 2019, very recently. So it keeps on 
re-triggering that deep trauma, that deep wound of PST, which I call the wound of worthlessness. Mm. It keeps reminding us that as a, a woman, I'm worth less than a man. It's not a conscious thing. Consciously, we may be so confident. We may be so competent and know it. But our subconscious keeps on getting these reminders. Yeah. So one thing, <clears throat> you opened the book talking about your own bout with uh, what you thought was a stroke. Yeah. And and how you just, uh, can you share that story? Because I think it's so powerful and relatable. Mm. Yeah. So I was living a really really good life. I had everything I ever wanted and worked so hard for. I had two graduate degrees in psychology, which tells you something about my commitment to figuring out what's wrong with me Mm. (laughs) once and for all and fixing it. And I had a thriving private practice in New York. I had a lovely home, a family I loved, and I loved my work. And one day I was on the phone with a client when I noticed I was smiling only with the right side of my face and the left side of my face and then my left arm, the left side of my body got numb. And I quickly Googled what's going on and I saw the word stroke come up and I finished the call (laughs) (laughs) and then drove myself of course right I mean we know that Uh, I drove myself using my right arm I drove myself to the emergency room like all of these things are telling you something right but they were not minimizing you keep minimizing the the impact of what is happening yeah and uh, so many things there are such deep stories in in all of these choices but I was not aware of them these were just the choices that I was making from my subconscious my subconscious was driving from the place of PSD and um yeah and these are deep wells to unpack so once i landed in the er and they scanned me up and down i um <laughs> i actually began to feel better because for the first time i was able to just be and not answer phone calls, not take care of anyone. And at the end of the day, they came up with the diagnosis, just stress, Mm. which was a huge relief and also kind of confusing because I did not feel stressed. Alison, I felt exactly the same way I had felt probably my entire life. And that was sobering. And that was something that made me really question how come my system was running this high level of stress and I wasn't even aware of it. And uh, and one more choice I made that day was once I got the diagnosis, I knew it was not a stroke. I looked at the clock and I realized I could still make my evening client appointments. So I quickly changed out of the hospital gown and drove back to the office and saw my clients as if nothing had ever happened. Good Lord. Right? You know, I say I say good Lord, but I, I have remembered every single surgery that mm-hmm. I've had over the past 10 years. And I have worked 
from the moment I get to surgery <laughs> to the moment I'm like, you know, like alert enough mm-hmm. um, to be able to take a phone call and yeah. have never given myself the space to just be and just take time. And so one thing I heard you say on another podcast is that you run into women and I relate to this, that wish they could get sick. Like, yeah, COVID sounds awesome. Like I have found myself wishing (laughs) I have somehow, it has somehow managed to skip our home, but I have, uh, have found myself like, wouldn't it be kind of nice to just have some downtime, just an excuse to stop? Mm-hmm. Why do we feel the need to run so fast? Can you talk a little bit about this hustle culture, which I think people are starting to awaken from, but there is still such an innate um, engine that's running mm-hmm. in us that mm-hmm. just won't stop. Yeah. I don't think we're awakening from it in the least. You don't. Uh-uh. Mm. What do you see? <laughs> I think it's it's getting worse, if anything. And even, yeah. And, yeah, there's just so many things I, I can say about this. I'm just picking a, a thread in my mind where, where I want to go. Well, let's look at this through the lens of trauma. Even when we consciously awake, awaken to the need to rest and do more self-care and slow down it's great that's that level of you know that cognitive realization and it's much harder to actually put it into practice so many women we we struggle with self-care with slowing down looking at this through the lens of trauma it actually um, the, the picture is very different. It's not our failing in any way because our nervous system actually feels unsafe in a state of relaxation. Mm, I feel that. Mm-hmm. Preach, honey. Right? <laughs> it feels safe to be on the go. It feels safe to be in the state of hypervigilance because when we're alert, we're alert to danger. We're alert to everything that can go wrong. And the state of low-grade anxiety, if you will, um, is our normal. It's a survival normal. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a survival normal. Uh, However, if we want to thrive, we need to rewire our nervous systems so that we're not tracking only danger, 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 what can go Mm -hmm. wrong, but we're actually attuning to all the pleasure that's available to us, all the feel good, all the affirmations of our own worth that are available to us that our system tends to reject because, well, I'm not there yet. There is that next thing. Yes. All of these are symptoms of PSD, by the way, because on the patriarchy, a woman could never, ever, ever, ever be enough. <laughs> we could mm. never do enough. We could never be enough. Our opinions never mattered. Uh, we never had anything important to say, contribute, do. Our labor has been unpaid. So there is another aspect of us working so hard as if to try to outrun this conditioning. Mm-hmm. I'm never enough. I'm never enough. But but maybe I can be enough. I 
but I'll just answer another email. I'll take another call. There is also that. So when we heal PSD, we work both with the nervous system to make it actually feel safe to slow down. And we work on rewiring the subconscious programming so Mm. that we can be unconditionally enough and worthy. So there were so many aspects of your book that really covered some things that I think we struggle with, but never give voice to. It's so culturally acceptable to hate on our bodies to, you know, like we're in January now. So people have new year's resolutions. This is it. I'm going to finally get skinny. I'm finally going to go to the gym. I'm finally going to do this. And one thing you said in your book, most of us don't experience our bodies as our friends. Rather, they are things we have to manage and torture into compliance. We scheme about how we can squeeze more energy out of them or squeeze them into a smaller size dress with spanks underneath. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Valerie, it just was like a light bulb going on because we do, we're so angry at our bodies. We try and dominate Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. try and outrun it. And, and I do, you know, like tell, tell, tell us about the war with our bodies. Mm. And that's also um, a very painful casualty of the war on women that patriarchy has been waging forever. And by the way, when I say patriarchy, I don't mean men. Yes, an individual man. I don't mean men as a collective. I mean a system of inequality and oppression that, by the way, traumatizes men, traumatizes people across the gender spectrum differently. Focusing on women in the book, however, it is a truly an inclusive invitation to healing. Right, so it's a little segue mm. when I talk about patriarchy and the war on women's bodies. You know, patriarchy has owned, uh, claimed ownership um, to women, to our bodies. Women never actually owned their bodies, their lives, and patriarchy put certain conditions on women's survival, uh, and women's survival has always been attached to women's attractiveness to mm-hmm. men because women's survival has been attached to a man providing because women didn't have a means means to provide for themselves through no fault of their own. And so <laughs> those, uh, those rules, uh, patriarchy has been deciding through, you know, each historical era what a woman's body should look like. And different cultures approached uh, that in different ways, you know, from foot binding to corsets um, to all sorts of, you know, now we have all sorts of surgery available and of course endless ways of torturing and beating ourselves into compliance through punishing diets compulsive exercise again arising above this noise even if it's the noise in our heads and seeing the bigger picture is necessary okay um there's nothing wrong with wanting to release the weight that doesn't feel authentic, right? Or, no, there's nothing wrong with that. However, if that, if the deeper motivation is um, 
and it, and it's hard to admit to ourselves sometimes where the motive. Yeah, the, is I love myself off. when I right? love myself when. Yeah, and this this is it, Allison. This this is a great litmus test. Are you thinking about rewarding yourself right when you lose, like release a few pounds? Oh yeah, when I release a few pounds, I buy I'll buy myself that dress, mm-hmm. or I'll put myself out there and start dating. But I won't until until I do this, if there are any conditions attached to your um, fitness or weight loss desire, well, then there's probably something inauthentic in that motivation, right? Uh, when there is conditionality in our self-approval, respect mm. PSD. I think that's where I think that's where we get stuck. We get stuck culturally, we get stuck cuz there does not seem to be an easy way available. I think there is now that I've read your book, but an easier way, but it just seems so difficult to go against the grain. And one of the the things that stood out to me about your book especially in the beginning where you said you have a lot of high achieving women, I guess that would come to you in your uh, in the beginning in the psychology practice and then through the the workshops that you host now that would say, Dr. Valerie, I'm so distracted. Do I have ADHD? Do I have onset mm-hmm. ADHD? Mm-hmm. And so I, I struggled with that as well, where I started to, you know, go to the doctor. I was thinking about getting a brain scan because I cannot read a book. And yeah. so your book literally was the first book that I've finished physically in years years, like even books that are like 40 pages, I have not been able to finish. And I thought, God, there is something wrong with me. But then through your book, you're saying, no, no, it's not, it's not that, you know? And, and that was really liberating for me. And what I found is that I don't have ADHD. I'm actually hyper-focused when I'm interested. Mm, yeah. I'm actually really good at it. Yeah. But if it it doesn't feel authentic, that's when I'm looking for something to distract me, whether it's social media, whether it's Netflix, whether it's something that doesn't feel like I'm being constricted and feels expansive, then I can podcast, I can write all day. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and so I wondered what, if, if I'm, if I'm experiencing that the way that you are positioning it in the book and what you've seen in your practice. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because so many women uh, find themselves in that situation. Oh, I just can't. What's wrong with my brain? Yes. Well, <laughs> there are social media. It. Social media did it. <laughs> there are a lot of things going on, right? There are a lot of things going on. There are so many things fighting for our attention. We we need to take care of so so many things. Our, our families, and if we have a business, our teams, and all the things. Or um, if you have a job, I'm sure you have a ton of things to keep track of at mm-hmm. any given moment. Um, so there is that. And layered on top of that or underneath that is that engine running of our nervous system constantly being hypervigilant and constantly looking for threat. So that in itself demands a lot of our attention capacity. A lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm. we don't even know. I, I, I need to hold it for that minute. Yeah. Is that... That's really powerful that if our bodies are so hypervigilant that we're always looking, we're just 
exhausting ourselves, yeah. just, yeah. you know, feeling like we're always in threat. Absolutely. And so the distraction is almost like a, a, a protective adaptation just to take the pressure off for a minute. You got it. Absolutely. Wow. And we don't realize that because like what we know is what our thoughts are <laughs> telling us and our our mind is a meaning-making machine. It's going to make up mm -hmm. a story one way or another. So for example, if we have an important email to respond to or a proposal to write, it feels subtly unsafe in our system somewhere somehow it feels unsafe mm -hmm. and if we are not aware that we're feeling unsafe because to be aware we need to be in touch with the body and how it actually feels and this is something we get into doing this work of healing right getting really in touch with your body signals so that you can you can know the truth um which doesn't necessarily come come from the mind because the thoughts are so quick to just create a story oh well you first need to do social media research <laughs> or, mm -hmm. and then four hours later oh I, I i don't have energy for this anymore and uh, but i do know what's going on with kim kardashian and pete <laughs> davidson <laughs> That's important too. <laughs> it's it's phenomenal how our culture really conspires um, to it just it is so set up to keep us in these adaptations mm. to keep us numbing to keep us distracting so that we never actually step into our full power and again there's nothing wrong with you know just I'm just going to give myself a break and and just enjoy some mindless entertainment. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. But the key is knowing when you're doing that, why you're doing that. Because if it's an escape from something that feels unsafe, right? You just want to know what is it that's making you feel unsafe. And I use that word a lot, unsafe, unsafe, unsafe. And our listeners may be wondering, well, I'm not a fear. I'm not a fearful person. I really don't think I feel unsafe. So it may be not not the experience that you are consciously familiar with, but it's never been safe to be a woman in the world, period. So the baseline of our existence is feeling unsafe. Um, but it's so normal. It feels so normal. Like stress felt so normal to me. I didn't know when it was at the point of my body shutting down. And that's why it's so important to keep having these conversations. Like, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If I felt completely safe in my body, what would I do? I don't like the question, what would you do if you had no fear? Because like my answer to that would be not much because I would be dead. <laughs> I would walk onto oncoming traffic if I had no fear. Right? Fear is important, but it's very important also to, to know what it feels like in the body when you are safe versus when you are unsafe. And most of us, like I know I did not have a reference for point for what safety felt like in my body mm. for a very, very long time. And I was never in my body. I was always in my head. Um, in my 30s, I began getting into my body little by little. It was a totally new experience. But I wanted to circle back to ADD, ADHD for a moment. We have amazing 
amazing transformation stories that we hear from women in our programs, we never know where this work is going to take them. And um, quite a few stories that we've heard have to do with ADHD symptoms. One of our sure. doctors was on medication, was diagnosed, was, and the medication was helpful. And doing this work, she realized that her brain was functioning differently and she was finding herself like really hyper-focusing and jittery. And she went back to her prescribing physician and she described her symptoms and they decided to cut back on the medication and then take her off the medication because she no longer needed it. That is so huge. And one of the, one of the things when, you know, I, I think there is a, I don't know if it's a paradigm shift. It feels like a paradigm shift to me. But when you talk about the system is not set up for women to thrive, you know, the system is set up where they are worth less, like you said. And so there is a mentality of like, push through it. I'm not, you know, I'm mind over matter. And something in your book, I'll read um, for a second. I am not a victim of these circumstances. I rise above them. I'm strong and won't let something like this affect me. I just get over it and move on. I don't let these things bother me. This is all victim mentality. Mm -hmm. I imagine that people are listening to this thinking and maybe have some resistance Mm -hmm. to this idea because there is, you know, and especially when I was younger in my 20s, there was so much of like, I'm just going to push through it. I'm just going to be superwoman, you know, where I'm a a mother in my forties with a full-time job and a couple of podcasts and a blog and a lot of stuff going on. Mm -hmm. And where I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be superwoman anymore. I don't want to be super mom. I want to be at peace. And that is something I've been shifting, but I, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on the victim mentality, uh, resistance that might come up with uh, the ideas in this book. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this up because it does come up. And here is the crux of this misunderstanding. By naming the condition accurately, we actually stop being a victim to something that's invisible and that's controlling us, unbeknownst to us. Now we have leverage to work with it. And now we can actually effectively heal versus just pushing that boulder up the hill all the time and it just keeps on rolling back and we keep on working so hard and it becomes our identity. I got to work hard. I got to work hard. Struggle becomes identity, our identity. So interestingly, that refusal to, oh, I'm not going to be, not going to be a victim actually does keep us stuck in a victim state. And then there is another aspect to this which is when we experience trauma, be it when we were little or the trauma that was transmitted to us uh, from previous generations, at that time of experiencing trauma, we were victimized or our ancestors were. It's, um, It's that moment when we actually were a victim and in order to heal and reclaim and liberate ourselves from that state of victimhood. We need to heal that trauma and we need to tend to those tender parts that are stuck in that victim place. 
And ironically, by refusing to go there, by refusing to, quote unquote, be a victim, we stay a victim. Mm. Because those parts are driving... Yeah, those parts are driving the bus from our subconscious. We know from neuroscience that it's the subconscious that decides our actions. The mind simply jumps on on board to rationalize why we're doing or not doing this or that. But it's very important to understand, right? Make the unconscious conscious on our road to not being a victim. Yeah. So I think we've successfully identified the problem. We understand the structure through our conversation today. What does healing look like? Where Mm. do you even advise somebody to start? Mm. Well, if this is resonating, a great next step would be to either download the first chapter of the book that's available on audio and also in PDF form. You can do it at drvalerie.com forward slash book. And If that resonates, (laughs) join us for The Thriving Experience. TheThrivingExperience.com is where you can register. Tickets start at free. And this is really an environment and an opportunity to take that learning and begin to live it to go from information to transformation. That's where we're teaching the tools that we use in our programs. Um, We do this deep immersion introductory so that you can actually experience real shifts in real time with other powerful women from all around the world recognizing, perhaps for the first time in their lives, that there's nothing wrong with them coming out of those silos of shame and isolation, feeling that something is wrong with them, seeing that all of that is bullshit, and actually experiencing what that shift from survival, from how much can I bear, to thriving, to how good can it get, feels like, what it looks like, what it sounds like. So it's really delicious, the thrivingexperience.com. Hope to see you there. And in the book, um, the five stages that we we take uh, our participants through and the, the five stages of healing, I've uh, mapped those out so that you can really understand um, what it takes. So it's not some kind of an abstract idea, but you can start applying it to your life. And there are some starter tools in the book as well. And you can download more on my website, drvalerie.com, so that you can start experiencing the shifts in your body and in your life. The biggest danger of this conversation um, is that it stops at the level of conversation that you remember, oh, all right, well, that was interesting. (laughs) It was an interesting concept. Yeah, how do you put it into practice? Right, yeah, and it just stays there. And PSD wants exactly that. Those trauma adaptations, I call them prison Mm. guards, they are committed to keeping the status quo intact. So they will tell you stories like, oh, that's okay. You know, you don't need this. Your life is good enough. And I just challenge you, if something resonated in this conversation, take that next step today. Take that next step. Make it a very easy step. Maybe it's just downloading the first chapter of the book. 
that is free. Um, and then the next step, and then the next step, if that keeps on calling to you, because truly you're, you're not alone. You don't have to go it alone. Collective trauma requires collective healing. And we do have a very powerful community of women who are on this journey together and what they are discovering every step of the way from uh, multiplying their business revenue while carving out so much more time and having so much more fun at the same time mm. to, you know, um, just raising the bar on their health, vitality, on the intimacy and connection and everything, right? Their the life experience. We're learning from them every day what's possible, what becomes possible with this work. Um, and I would love to learn from you as you get on this journey of exploration. So please don't be a stranger. Oh, girl, I won't. I think, <laughs> I think what has been really liberating for me, especially finishing the book this week, where I started to feel so much differently. I felt like a weight lifted. And one of the things, one of the <clears throat> tactical, practical um, healing techniques was when you start to feel anxiety, when you start to feel that discomfort, you thank it and say, oh, there's there's my body protecting myself. Wow, that was really nice. And so it wasn't, what I liked about it is it wasn't just power of positivity, just kind of forcing its way through. It was yeah. almost a compassionate, you know, hug to understand that not like, oh, why is my body doing this again? Why, you know, why is my mind going bananas? It's because it's an ad adaptation that you're trying to. So I, I love that concept of it. Um, and as we wrap up, what do you know that you wish other people could know? Mm -hmm. Ah, that there is nothing wrong with you. There's truly nothing wrong with you. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> yes. There is nothing wrong with you. And I know it's hard to believe because we grew up believing the opposite, right? Uh, and it's just something that um, opens up a whole new paradigm to living, living a life of how good can it get versus how much can I bear. Mm. And I'm just... I'm excited for the world where more and more women reclaim that deep knowing and understanding and align their lives with their deepest authentic desires. What a wonderful world that would be. It sure would. And I think, you know, I love that line, let it be easy. Mm -hmm. And so if, I guess in my mind, as I start to implement these practices of, you know, kind of understanding where it's coming from and, and having love and compassion for it and, you know, having these, uh, uh, these practices to kind of counter some of the stress and some of the, you know, the, the tension that's been stored up in my body for so long, you know, what if it could flow freely? What if it didn't have to be so hard? What if, yeah. you know, it could be easier? So I think that's a beautiful way to end. Um, and I'm so grateful for this. How do people get in touch with you, Dr. Valerie? 
Um, you can follow me on Instagram. I actually love DMs. <laughs> I'm at Dr. Valerie Rain. And um, if you do download uh, that first chapter of the book or the book resources, then we can also stay connected through the newsletter, The Thriving Notes. And of course, I would love to see you at The Thriving Experience. That's where we can meet face to face and play together and heal together and just have so much fun. Wonderful. Well, thank you from the bottom of my heart. You're doing really, really powerful work and I cannot wait to see the ripples that it causes <laughs> with um, with all that interact with, with these ideas because they're powerful. So thank you. Thank you so much, Allison, for being a shining champion of uh, this healing for everyone. I wish I could properly describe what it felt like this week after finishing the Patriarchy Stress Disorder book. I felt like a weight had been lifted off of my body. I felt like I finally had the tools to finally find a little peace in my restless heart, my heart that is just full of passion and unsure of how to use it in the best way. So I hope you'll not only read her book, but also sign up for the Thriving Experience virtual retreat that she's hosting that starts on January 21st. And one of the reasons why I wanted to make sure I release this early enough so you have time to sign up and it's free. I've linked everything in the show notes and would absolutely love to hear how this landed for you. And speaking of hearing from you, can you leave me a five-star rating on whatever listening platform you're listening to? Spotify just added the opportunity to rate podcasts, and it would mean so much to me to get feedback on what you think, how it lands. Also, follow me on the socials and sign up for my emails at allisonhair.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.